Rebison, do you have the Jewish calendar? You have your phone there. I wanted to pull up that story on the Quran. Today in Jewish history, uh, one of the things that happened, which I think is is significant, is that um, today is the day in which the the ark landed on the mountaintop. It came to rest on the rock, on the on the mountain, as it were. And for all that time, it had been, you know, the the waters. You know, the, we, I don't know. We talked about the flood before, but the flood is just this raging waters bubbling up and rushing forward. So, uh, you know, the, the ark really didn't have a guidance system on board. It was just, it was just tossed to and fro across the, the face of the waters. But when it finally landed on a rock, it finally had a foundation. It had somewhere to stand, somewhere to be, somewhere to hold on to. And, of course, that began, uh, the, uh, the, the waters began to recede. And I think that there's something spiritual. I, we, we tap into these things for each and every one of us on an individual basis and on a corporate level. And corporately, we have a completion of our Beit Dean after almost 16 months. Amen. We have a, a, a solid rock, a solid foundation, uh, you know, and so it's, it's a real blessing and it's, uh, and I don't, I don't mind at all. I, in fact, I, I, not that I don't mind, you need to have under shepherds, you need people that people can go to and talk to. For some people, it's scary to talk to the rabbi. I don't know why that is. I'm not all that scary, I don't think, but some people, it's just scary to go and talk, but they can talk to a Zakin, and that's great, and that's fantastic, and I think that's phenomenal. They're able to do that. There's also a Purim that we celebrate today. Uh, we just we we celebrate every Purim, every Purim that happens in Jew Judaism. We celebrate them all, uh, and this is the Pulver Purim that happened in 1804. Of course, there is the Purim right from the Book of Esther, but this every subsequent Purim, Purim means that that you or your community was saved from some type of mortal, physical, or spiritual danger. So this was the Pulver Purim from 1804, and it was established by Rabbi Abraham Doznig, uh, who authored some halakhic works, when his family was miraculously saved from a fire on the eve of the 16th of Kislev. The inferno engulfed many of the homes, including his own home, and the very room where all of his family members were, causing even some of the walls to collapse. So Rabbi Danzig then established the 16th of Kislev as a day of celebration for all of his future descendants who were saved from this fire. So praise God that he was saved. May Hashem spare us all collectively from the fire. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Hashem. Well, wow. Such, uh, such amazing things. Vaishlak. Vaishlak. Uh, this, I want to deal with this passage in Genesis chapter 32 of Yaakov wrestling with this man. This is a very, very mystical uh, event that has happened here. It uh, has a lot of interpretations to it. There is a, 
there's a general line of thought if you look at ancient rabbinical um, commentary on this and then commentary from the Middle Ages. There is a difference of opinion as to who this man is, this angel. One of the prevailing thoughts is one that I just have always had trouble accepting. And that is that this is some, this is, oh, thank you, Zach and Rayford. Let's say our blessing first, shall we? This reminds me of something I'll tell you after we say our blessing. Something I was thinking, God, I guess God wanted me to share it. The blessing of the Torah. Let's do that. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. That reminds me, I wasn't going to share this, and then I make it another mistake. I had y'all sit down too early after the blessing of the Torah. And uh, I realized that after I had you sit down, which I probably had to, would have you, should have had you stand up. But in any case, uh, it reminded me, and then and I forgot the blessing, and Zach and Rayford uh, showing me discreetly. That's fine, though. That's great. That's great. Leadership, and I appreciate it. I don't mind at all, Zakens, or the goodbye for that matter, or the Hazan tapping me on the shoulder, or, or let me know, because I, contrary to popular belief, I'm not perfect. But it reminds me of a story. Of, I'll never forget this story, so uh, it's a long, long, to make a long story short, I, my wife and I were involved in Civil War reenacting for a long, 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 long time, and so uh, back in those days, it was very, very well organized. It was, very, it was like a paramilitary organization. It was all historical in nature and all this kind of stuff, but it was very well organized. And there was, there was national organizations back then. I think it's kind of not as, not as, uh, as abundant as it was back then, but we're talking about <clears throat> thousands of people involved. So um, there, I had be recently become a, after many, 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 many years, I'd recently become a, uh, the, the Brigadier General of the Mississippi Valley uh, Brigade, which uh, involved troops from uh, three different states. And so we were at an event at the National Park in Shiloh, Tennessee. And I was a newly, you know, uh, a new general. And there was another gentleman there who I'd known for many, many years. Great man, very, very experienced. He'd been a general for a long time. Uh, And he was in command of the division that day. And so we had the entire division, which was, I don't know, a couple of thousand men on the field. And he made a command. He said, we, were, we had just fired a volley. And I was supposed to echo his commands. And I'm new, right? I'm new. But I know this gentleman. He knows me. But I'm still new in, in this rank. And so from the position of firing a volley, you're supposed to go to shoulder arms and then to order arms. And so he, we had just, all the men are still have their weapons front because they just fired a volley. And he says, order an arm is supposed to be the next command of communication. I'm supposed to repeat that. But I recognize it's a mistake. So he says, order. And I say, shoulder. He looks over at me. I look at him. And he says, you're right. Shoulder. 
So it just taught me a lesson there that, you know, this very experienced general could look at the new general and go, you're right, I made a mistake, and it's just fine, you know. So don't, don't be afraid to tell me I made a mistake. That's perfectly fine. We're all, we're all to quote, pastor or the pa- or a pastor from Nigeria, we're all umans. So speaking of umans, we have Jacob here. It says in the scripture, Jacob was left alone. Now, I was going to say that a lot of the interpretations of this is that he was wrestling with the Satan or the evil angel of Esau. And I have challenges with that interpretation. And I understand where that comes from because this is very mystical. You have a human being, Jacob, who is wrestling with an angel of God and seemingly winning. Uh, Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's an impossibility. Okay. On top of that, the Torah, as we're about to read, seems to indicate that this is just not an ordinary angel. Which makes Jacob's uh, victory here even even more greater impossibility. So a lot of the interpreters from antiquity say, well, perhaps this is Esau's evil angel, the Satan, and the reason Jacob is victorious is because he's such a righteous man. Uh, and that's I can understand why that would be an interpretation, and I think that there's plenty of things as as we know the scripture is very layered. There's plenty of things we can learn by looking at it from that point of view. But then again, this angel is so powerful that he seems to be losing the fight. And then all he does is touch Jacob on the hip, just touches him with a finger touch. And Jacob's disabled. This reminds me of the days when, and I remember you young, you gentlemen in the, in the room, probably most everybody would understand this. Remember those days when you used to wrestle your dad and win? Right. And then when dad was tired, he was like, all right, I'm done. And he, and he carried you by your foot over to the couch and threw you down, you know. And you're like, oh, but I beat you. You know, it's like, yeah, right. Okay, so that's kind of what it was, right? But let's look at this. It says, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. When he perceived that he could not overcome him, he struck the socket of his hip. So Jacob's hip socket was dislocated, and he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for dawn has broken. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I want to hone in on that particular statement that Yaakov makes. And we're going to actually look at this encounter from really, I believe, what the real point is. is and that is that Jacob wouldn't let him go. And which, which we're going to find out. The Satan and his demon minions can't bless you. Now, God can use demons to do his work because he controls everybody. They're not outside of his purview. He's complete sovereign. Hashem manipulates the Satan. He uses the Satan. He uses demons. He uses angels. He uses everything. He uses birds, dogs, rocks, flowers, feathers. He uses the wind. He uses the rain. He uses it all because it's all under his ultimate command. The reason we can command angels and demons is because we're under him. It's God than us. What is man that you're made for mindful? You made him a little lower than Elohim. That's what the text actually says. We're his lieutenant. We don't feel worthy and we shouldn't feel worthy. We shouldn't be haughty with that either. But it's angels, or excuse me, demons can't bless you. But he's holding on to this 
angel, and he's, he won't let him go unless he blesses him. It says, he said to him, what is your name? And he replied, Jacob. And he said, no longer will it be said that your name is Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with, with the divine and with man and have overcome. So he's, there's, there's a mystic implication there that the one he's striving with right now is of a particular divine origin. Now, I, I personally believe that this is the Mashiach, that this is Mem, this is. Another name for the Mashiach in the angelic realm is Memtet. And I believe that that's who he's ultimately wrestling with. I believe it's also who Daniel saw contending. It says here, Then Jacob inquired and he said, Divulge, if you please, your name. Now Jacob wants to know his name. And he said, Why then do you inquire of my name? And he, and he blessed him there. That's kind of an interesting uh, response. What's your name? He says, why do you want to know my name? There's another time in which this angel makes a similar statement. And we're going to look at that in just a moment in the book of Judges. It says, so Jacob called the name of that place Peniel. Now, this is where you have to, in my, in my opinion, you have to kind of dismiss he's struggling with an evil angel, he's struggling with a Satan, or even that he's struggling with an ordinary angel. Because, he, because after this happens, Jacob names the place Pineel, which in Hebrew literally means the face of God. Yes. He doesn't say the face of an angel. He doesn't say, I call this Pine Mikael, Pine Raphael, the face of Raphael, the face of Michael. You know, he calls it the face of God. For I have seen, and then he qualifies it. In case we're wondering, well, does he mean God or does he mean Elohim? Like Elohim can allude to judges or angels. Or what does, he, does he mean that? He says, for I have seen the divine face to face, yet my life was spared. Now, and I could be mistaken, but I don't recall that anybody's ever commented on it through the centuries. They comment on the first part where it says, so Jacob called the place Peniel, and they say, well, well, you know, it could, they could be referring to an angelic being, but actually in the Hebrew, it's the Yeshiv Yaakov Ve'im. So it says here in, in, in verse 1, 33 in verse 1, he called the place Peniel, which literally means the face of God. Okay? All right, so, and then he says, for I've seen the divine face to face, yet my life was spared. Ladies and gentlemen, when people see angels, they don't worry about dying. There's nothing about seeing an angel that would bring death. Just by seeing an angel doesn't bring death. However, the scripture says no one can see God and live. So if someone has seen God and they walked away still alive, that would give cause for someone to say, I've seen the divine face to face, yet my life was spared. That can only mean that Yaakov was wrestling here with a being that he believed was the image of Hashem which in my view is Memtet, or as we might say, Yeshua 
before his manifestation in human form. Which, by the way, angels manifesting in human form is a common known thing within Jewish circles of ancient writings. This is why, again, as I'm about to tell you for the umpteenth millionth time, there's nothing new in the New Testament. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote about being careful who you entertain because you don't know if you are entertaining possibly an angel. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, we should greet everybody with a good countenance. Now, we should do that because we're trying to bless people. And one way you can bless people is just say, good morning. Show them with a smile, right? And uh, some, some of us, like me, have to work on that because I don't know what my deal is, but I tend to walk away with, walk away with an intense look on my face. My wife will, will say this. She tells me I should go smile. Go smile. I don't know why I feel so intense all the time. Like, I'm, like, I'm just looking for milk. Like, oh, I've got to find that milk. Oh, where is it? Oh, I've got to find it. Oh, not that brand. Not that brand. Good morning. I, mean, I feel fine. I'm not mad. I don't know what it is. It's just my weirdness. So anyway, some of us got to work on it. But th- there's a reason why we do that. Plus, but listen, you may be greeting an angel and not even realize it. You know, a week or two ago, my wife uh, and I had to go downtown and we had, a, we had an appointment there, and we parked in this place where you have to get a little ticket, you know, and uh, to park there, and we only need to be there for a certain amount of time, and so, um, this is so odd, it's never happened to me before. We pull up, and uh, the building comes to the window of our car, there's nobody there, he just walks up to the window, and it doesn't happen when nobody's like, hey. So, she grills him, and like, yes, and he's like, hey, I've got some time left on my ticket, and, uh, and he gave us a family. And I said, thank you. That would be, be a blessing. He has the ticket and he walks away. I look at the ticket. The ticket, he just bought it. Like, just bought it. Like, a few minutes ago. I don't think that he could have bought that ticket, walked into the building, and walked out in that amount of time. You know what I mean? Like, go drop something off, come out. And I'm like, Okay. So we put the ticket on our window, and she and I went and did our thing. We came back to the car, and do you know it was the exact minute when we got there that thing expired? To the minute. Now, I don't know if that was an angel or not, but we decided that was an angel of God who decided that for whatever reason wanted to save us a buck fifty on parking. Well, that's the main thing I was about to say. It wasn't the buck fifty, but really what we decided, Reverend Singh just said it clearly, it let us know that we were in the right place at the right time doing what we were supposed to be yeah. doing. And God just wanted to put a little exclamation yeah. mark on saying, I want you to know that you're here on a mission. You see? So, so God has a way. You, and what I want to encourage you to do is, is I'm going to say this. I don't, I'm not saying you're doing this, but I'm going to say stop looking at everything in the natural. Right. Look at everything in the supernatural. Stop thinking that everything just happens because that's just the way stuff goes down. No, that's not. You've got to understand you've got to live in God. Everything happens because God ordains it. You gotta live. That's where you've got to live. That's where you've got to plant your flag. It's not that the, the, the leaf fell in front of you because God wanted it to, and your mission is to try to figure out why. 
And you may never find out why the leaf fell in front of you. Not, you know, but the point is, is, when you begin to look at everything that way, then that's when you know you're living in the supernatural and you're outside the purview of the natural order. Now, if you want to live in the natural order, then go ahead and just look at things naturally and things God will allow you to live there. Okay. It will allow you to be subject to the natural order of things. But when you cleave to God and cling to him, so I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me, because you're it. Only you, God. If I went to the store and found the milk I was looking for, it's only because you allowed it to be there. It wasn't because, well, they stocked the shelves. Of course it's going to be there. Not necessarily. You see, you've got to live there. You've got to embrace that a part of your life. So he says, look, I, I saw the divine face to face and I lived. So the sun rose for him as he passed Penuel and he was limping on his, on his hip. Therefore, the children of Israel are not to eat to display sinew of the hip socket to this very day because he struck Jacob's hip socket on the display, displaced sinew. So not to get up on this topic, but part of kosher eating is we don't eat the back part of the cow or the back part of any animal. Okay. Uh, now you can, but you that you have to remove that particular sinew nerve thing, and it's very, very, very tedious, and basically it's too time consuming, and so therefore kosher butchers don't even worry about it. The point I'm trying to make is, if you're buying kosher meat, you don't have to worry about it because anything that's just certified kosher that's meat here uh, is going to be from the proper part of the animal. But and I don't want to get off on the kosher thing. Uh, off on a discussion, just buy kosher meat, you don't have to worry about it. But my point is, is that this encounter was so dynamic that it changed our diet forever. <laughs> Think about that. It wasn't just an angel. He was wrestling with the divine, and yet he lived. And it was such an impactful experience that you and I have our day-to-day -day menu based on this event. Every time you sit down to eat kosher meat, you are reliving this moment. Think about that. Every time you sit down to have a steak, oh, I feel the anointing on that. Every time you sit down to have a steak, you are living this wrestling with this man. So, there's nothing new in the New Testament. Let me get to this right quick. I, I'm I'm don't have I need another couple of hours already, I can tell, but let me just, just start here in the Midrash Rabbah. And throw out a couple of interesting points. He said, You'll find it says here in the Midrash Rabbah, you'll find, and this is interesting, this is actually in reference to this very verse. You'll find that everything the Holy and Blessed Be He is destined to do. In the future, during the time to come, that is the Messianic era, he has already done in this world through the righteous. So everything he's going to do through the Mashiach, he's already done through the righteous. Now what I'm about to read is also why Yeshua said, the things that I've done, you will do even more. Okay? This is why. It says... It says, the Holy and Blessed Be He is going to revive the dead, and we find that Elijah revived the dead. The Holy and Blessed Be He withholds the rain, and we find that Elijah withheld the rain. 
The Holy One, blessed be He, is going to bestow a blessing upon a minute quantity and cause its size to increase. And we find that Elijah similarly bestowed a blessing upon a minute quantity. The Holy One, blessed be He, is going to revive the dead. And we find that Elisha revived the dead. The Holy One, blessed be He, remembers and heals barren women. We find that Elisha remembered the barren. The Holy One, blessed be He, is going to bestow a blessing upon a minute quantity and cause it to increase in size. And therefore, we find that Elisha similarly bestowed a blessing upon a minute quantity. The Holy One, blessed be He, is going to sweeten the bitter. And we find that Elisha sweetened the bitter. The Holy One, blessed be He, sweetens the bitter with something bitter. And we find that Elisha sweetened the bitter with something bitter. Now, we're going to read. I can't wait to get into the story of Joseph. It's my most famous, not famous, my most favorite uh, story of all of, of the Torah. But we're going to find even that Joseph had this ability to turn water into wine. And there's the, so we see that everything that Yeshua did had been done already by the righteous because God had, and this is the key though, key pun intended, he temporarily gave them that ability. Elijah and Elisha couldn't just walk around reviving the dead. But in a certain instance, they were able to. It says here in the Midrash Shabbat that it is a known fact in the Talmud, in, the, in Tananit 2, A and B, that there are four keys that God himself has possession of. This is why it talks about Yeshua went into the, to Hades and got the keys. There's a reason, right? He holds all the keys. It says here that God does not, he does temporarily entrust these keys to righteous people from time to time, but not permanently. Okay? These are the keys of rain. He controls the wind and the seas, obey it. The keys of childbirth. The keys of reviving the dead. And the keys of sustenance. So Yeshua commanded the seas and commanded the rain, told the storm, stop. Only God can do that. He was the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He holds the key to resurrection. And he's the one who had the fishes and loaves twice. He duplicated and fed 5,000. Now, childbirth, we don't have any, we don't have any uh, recordings of, of that, but surely there were some women that came to him who were barren and needed some, some help. Of course, you know, being born again, that's all in the hands of the Mashiach. He has those keys permanently. Also, in the middle of Shabbat, we have another interesting statement. Talking about needing to cleave. Remember, in, in, our, in our blessing that we read before we study, we ask God to help us engross ourselves in the Torah. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I, I feel the need to remind us all, and I'm probably going to I want to remind you as often as I can because I want it to I want it to be burned into your brain. The Torah of God is the law of Moses. The law of Moses is the first five books of the Bible, specifically, it's the entire Bible, generally speaking. Therefore, the law of Moses, the Torah, is the word of God. It is the Holy Scripture. Okay? That's a very important 
concept to understand. It's very critical because people, I guarantee you, people don't understand that. And so they think, well, the law is no longer in force today. What they don't know that they're saying because they, in their mind, somehow think that the law is somehow separated from the scripture. So it's somehow, it's a story within the Bible somehow. What they don't understand, what they're actually saying is that the word of God is no longer in force today. The Holy Scripture, the first five books of the Bible, is the Torah of God, literally. And I don't think you could find a believer alive who would tell you that the first five books of the Bible, you might as well just go ahead and cut them out of your Bible and throw them into the fire. They're they're of no value or use today, aside from maybe some historical reference. But other than that, they're totally meaningless. I don't think you could find anybody. You know why? Because if they're meaningless, then everything else is meaningless because everything else points back to that. If I was able to go to your house today and suck the foundation away, the house would not stand. So the Torah of God is the word of God. Some people believe, this is very popular belief, they believe that the Messiah came along and he nullified, abolished, or you know, whatever. Nullified, abolished, abrogated, made null, whatever, the Torah of God. And I've had people tell me, even recently, say, well, no, he fulfilled it. He didn't abolish it. Well, what does fulfill mean? Well, fulfill means that he did it so that we don't have to. Well, that means he abolished it for you. First of all, it's not what fulfill means. Fulfill means, it's a rabbinical term that means to rightly interpret. That's, right. That's what that means, to correctly interpret. But if I say to you, I have done this law so that you don't have to, that means I've abolished it for you. You see what I mean? So to say, well, because you fulfilled it doesn't mean you abolished it. It just means I don't have to do it. That's called abolishing. That's called nullifying. That's called abrogating. If I obey the speed limit so that you can speed, it means that my fulfillment of the speed limit has made it of no effect to you. Which, of course, is not what God, God did through the Messiah. But what I'm trying to help us do is not to get confused in our parts, our splitting of hairs. That's right. You see? So, Messiah, we would all agree, is the Word made flesh. Yes. Okay? So, Messiah is the living Word. The Word of God, we would all agree, is the living Word. The Torah, I just explained, is the Word of God. The Torah is the living word. So the living word is not going to show up and nullify the living word. You know why? Because they're the same thing. Yeshua is not going to show up and cancel himself. And look, we don't have to be theologians to get that. You have to be a theologian to mess that up. Because you've got you to do some, some you know, you know, game twister. Boy, I tell you, sometimes we, we, say some, we twist some stuff. We can reach over there and put our hands over here. Mm, purple one. We've got to do that now to make that work. But when you just follow the truth, it, man, you don't have to play twister. The Havitzheim used to say, the evil inclination doesn't mind if a Jew fasts. The evil inclination doesn't mind if a Jew weeps. 
The evil inclination doesn't mind if a Jew prays all day, every day, provided he never studies the Torah. The evil inclination, you ever wonder why Satan doesn't want us, he wants us to not pay attention to the Torah? Nothing to see here. Don't look at it. No, keep Move along. Pray. Yeah. Fast. Mm. Weep. Weep. Just don't look, don't look at the Torah. It's been done. It's not, well, it hasn't been abolished. It's just been made to where you don't have to do it anymore. It's not, it hasn't been nullified. It just, he just made it, you don't have to worry about it. He changes stuff, right? He changes. It's not white. It's, it's cream. Right? It's not red. It's scarlet. And we're all like, you know, like, yeah, it's scarlet. Mm, scarlet, good. Not red. Cream, mm, not white. Cream, mm, cream, not white. You know? And we just went around like a bunch of brain-dead people not looking at it and just say what it is. Why, why does he not want us to do it? Because that's, the rabbis say that the antidote for sin is the Torah. Now somebody might say, well, I thought the antidote for sin was Yeshua. Yeshua is the Torah. You see? He's the Word made flesh. Why do we have to go back to John 1.1 and keep revisiting that? He is the Word made flesh. He's the Word. Word made flesh. Word. So the Satan doesn't want us to keep the Torah. He fights against us all the time. He pushes us away because he doesn't want us to cleave to God. Now listen, the whole cleaving thing, I want to go now to... I was going to, tell, I was going to take it for the sake of time, we're not going to go to Judges. But if you look at Judges 13, 18, Samson's parents asked the angel of the Lord that appeared to them what his name was. And... Uh, he said, why do you want to know my name? It is hidden. The name, the word hidden is, is um, uh, Pele, which can mean hidden in Hebrew, but can also mean wonderful. So when you look at the verse in Isaiah, which says he will be called, you know, mighty, you know, uh, everlasting father, counselor, wonderful, Prince of Peace. Wonderful is one of the names of the Messiah. So this angel that appeared to Menachem and his wife, he said, why do you want to know my name? My name is hidden. Could also be read, my name is wonderful. Manoah. Anyway, and then he went up in the flame and the man said to his wife, we're going to die because we've just seen the face of God. Of course, his wife, because a lot of times women, you know, have a little more spirituality, said, if we wanted us to die, we'd be dead already. Okay. So I want us to look at, we're going to look at the Zohar now, because Zohar tends to look at the scripture on a more esoteric level. And I want to read a couple of insights here, because I, uh, focusing in on this, what I told you was, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Here is why we want to engross ourselves in the Torah. Here is why we want to, as I said earlier, we want to hold on to Hashem. And we want to make our life, it's all Hashem. We live in a matrix. Now, I'm not a spook 
okay? I understand that reality is real, but I also know what's also not real. It's whatever God wants it to be. My reality is reality, and he can change my reality at any moment. But he wants to change it. God does not have to work according to natural circumstances. How many of us can make testimony and say, we didn't know where how we were going to pay that bill, but somehow the math added up when it shouldn't have added up. And by the way, when that happens, don't go back and try to figure it out. Right? Like in the movie Superman where the engine blew on the plane and the Superman came and fixed it and he's flying along the plane and the co-pilot said, what's that? And he's like, the pilot said, just fly. Don't ask, just fly. Sometimes when God is working it out, you just have to just fly. Don't ask how, just fly. It says here in the opening statement, the rabbis show us that it's incumbent upon man to walk the path of the righteous and listen to this, to hold tightly to the Torah. This way, we are told, the evil inclination becomes our advocate as opposed to our accuser. We're going to read some secrets from the Zohar on how to make our evil inclination, how to turn a foe into a friend, how to turn an accuser into an advocate. How to turn a prosecutor into a protector. And it all has to do with cleaving to the Torah, which means cleaving to God, which means cleaving to Yeshua, which means cleaving to the tree of life. When we cleave to God, then he becomes our protector. And you say, well, God, I don't see how we're going to get out of this. But don't worry about all the circumstances. You just keep your eyes on me. This is what Jehoshaphat said in 2 Chronicles 20. He says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Why? Because from you, our help comes. My, my help comes from the Lord. Nobody else. He can, ladies and gentlemen, he can turn your advocate into your, into your, excuse me, your adversary into your advocate like that. Somebody who hates your guts, he can turn them into your best friend overnight. Only God can do that. What we have to, our part, you say, well, what do I do? Our part is to cleave to him. Wake up every morning dependent upon Him. I'm, you know, you say, well, I've done this a thousand times. Oh, give Him the glory. Don't ever say, I can do this. I got this. No, don't, don't ever tell God you got this. Come and behold, it says, He asks in this verse, if you faint in the day of your adversary, excuse me, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. This is from Proverbs 24.10. What is the meaning of you faint? He replies, a man whose hand do not firmly hold on to the Holy One, but is he, to receive strength from him. A man can be strengthened by stronger association with the Torah. For whoever is strengthened by the Torah holds more firmly to the tree of life. The tree of life and the Torah are the same thing. Thereby given power and strength to the congregation of Israel, which is the Shekinah. In other words, God has this mystical law at work in the universe. The, the more we cling to God, the more we depend upon His Word, the more we hold tight and refuse to let go until He blesses us, gives more power to the Ruach HaKodesh, to the Shekinah of God. 
Now, the, now this is where, you know, Yeshua is the manifestation of God, yet he seems to be praying to God, and that trips people up. Like, well, how can he be the divine Messiah and pray to himself? That, okay, well, that's not really a problem when you get into Kabbalistic thought, because in, in, Zohar, in the Zohar of ancient Jewish thought, you have the Shekinah, which is the spirit of God, or the glory of God, and which is God, but dwells here with us. And if we are faithful, it gives the Shekinah power. If we are less faithful, it reduces the power of the Shekinah. Now, how can the power of Shekinah be reduced? How can the power of God be reduced? You see, so there's, there's this mystery there. So it says, but if he relaxes his hold on the Torah, then he faints. You know, right? Don't faint and grow weary. Right? What does it mean don't, not to faint and grow weary? Don't lose your confidence in God. The sages say, even when the sword is at your neck, believe in God. Oh, man. He can turn that knife into a healing bomb. It says, if he faints in his hold on the Torah. See, that's where we, we mess up. We'll always mess up when we get our eyes off of God and put it on man. We begin to trust men. It says, then in the day of adversity, oh my Lord, have I lived this in my life. On the day of adversity, his strength is small. Why? Because when the storm came, we forgot to pray. When the storm came, we forgot to trust God. We started scheming, trying to make stuff happen. Ooh, we got to make it happen. We got to get out of this. We, here's our plan. Here's our battle. And we forgot to even ask God about it. We forgot that he's the one that brought the adversity to begin with to teach us the lesson. And then we'd start doing this. Now listen, I'm, I'm going to say something here. I'm, I'm all about spiritual warfare. I'm all about rebuking the devil and all that. We, there's times for that, right? But sometimes we're rebuking the Satan and, God, and the Satan is saying, hey, God sent me. He sent me to get you back on track. So you can rebuke me all day long. Which you, instead of rebuking me, you might want to go talk to him. Reminds me of a joke. Man woke up and the devil was standing at the foot of his bed. He just looked at him and said, rolled over and went to sleep. Satan was like, what? Next thing he woke him up again, he looked up and there's Satan standing at the foot of his bed. And he's like, oh, it's you again. Went back to sleep. Third time said, uh-uh. Satan got all of, his, all of Satan's glory, big old wings and pitchfork. And the guy woke up and looked at him and said, yeah, I see you. And he's like, now listen, I'm the Satan. How can you just lay there and act all like calm and just go back to sleep and stuff? I'm sitting right here at the foot of your bed. The man said, I'm married to your sister. <laughs> Feel free to use that whenever you want. <laughs> anyway, 
Another explanation of the phrase, your strength is small, is that when a man is faint in his hold on the Torah and walks a crooked path, many enemies wait to oppress him in a day of adversity. Even his own soul, his power and strength become his foe and enemy. He explained the word, your strength is small, the Hebrew is czar, as your strength is an enemy, czar, which refers to his soul, which reflects a man's strength. Now, Rabbi Abba said that when a man walks the path of Torah and his ways are duly straight, many advocates stand ready to speak well of him. He opened the discussion with a verse, if there be an angel over him, an intercessor, one among a thousand, to vouch for a man's uprightness, then he is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. That is Job 33, 23 to 24. We should study these verses carefully in that it is revealed before HaKadosh Baruch Hu, does he need an angel to announce before him a good and evil? But the answer is, although he knows, that is God, knows everything, he surely requires an angel to arouse mercy because when a man has good intercessors who remind the Holy One, blessed be he, of his merits and no one who speaks of his sins, then he is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom for him. Now listen, what is this talking about? It's talking about then we're, when we're in sin and we're, when we have messed up and we're away from God, and then... There's going to be many enemies that are ready to pounce on us. And one of those enemies is our own soul. But this is why when you're going through a difficult situation or going through a challenge, whatever it is, big or small, you put your focus on God. And Hashem, I need to get my heart right with you. I need to make confession. I need to repent. As soon as you, met, you said something you shouldn't have said, you should go right to God. If it's, a, if it's proper to go right to the person. And make confession. Say, hey, I shouldn't have said that. That was stupid of me. And make confession. And listen, because here's the deal. When we connect with God and we do like Jacob did and we hold on to him and refuse to let go, then God begins to turn everything around. And all those people that are ready to pounce on us, all of a sudden he kicks them to the side and he brings people that want to stand up for us. Because we're awesome? No. Because we made the shoot. Because we're just all wise and you know we're not we're not whatever? No. Because we chose, we made a decision to come before God and kneel before Him and say, Lord, I was wrong and I I want to, I sincerely want to do better. Then God sees that. When He sees that it's sincere, all of a sudden we have friends who show up. Why, why does that happen? Because the, the sages bring down, when somebody wants to make the shuva, he assists him. Well, one of the ways God assists you is by sending people, sending people who will lift you up instead of kicking you down and help you to be better. So it says, it says here, Another explanation of the words, I have found a ransom, is that the Holy Buster, he says to the angel, the merit you mentioned shall be that man's ransom. It will redeem him from dying and going down to Gehenna. Therefore, it behooves a man to walk the path of truth so that his accuser will be turned into his advocate. 
and it goes on to say here in the Zohar that the, the power of Hashem to save is in direct relationship to our tenacity to hold on to Him. How tenacious are we going to be? Are we, do we have the ability to just let go? You know, the, the, the cliche is, and it's a cliche that's rarely we pay attention to, but let go and let God. And that's scary sometimes. Sometimes we can control things and sometimes we can't control things. Those things that we can control, we need to do something about it. And those things we can't control, we just need to just turn it over to God. Finally, I want to say this. Ram Bon brings down an interesting... He, he does a interplay... He, he looks at the Hebrew word, let me put it this way, of of this encounter with Jacob. He looks at the Hebrew words. I won't, there's a big insight here. I won't go into all of it. But basically, to wrestle with this man is the word actually means, it has the expression meaning, if a man shall hug and kiss. So he brings down that in the Hebrew, as it was expressed by Ankylos in the first century, looking at the Hebrew, that it's similar to the, the uh, scripture verse in Exodus 22.15, if a man shall seduce a, vir- a virgin. The same word is used there as it relates to this wrestling match. And that word seems to imply if a man shall hug and kiss. That's how he would seduce a virgin. So in other words, Jacob, is we, we look at it as he's fighting with this angel. But it's almost as if the scripture is trying to say, Jacob is grabbing this angel and trying to hug it and kiss it like, like, like a man might a woman. In other words, and I'm not suggesting that that's exactly literally what he's doing, but rather he sees this as an opportunity before he has this encounter with Esau he is trying to hold on to God and hug him and kiss him and get a blessing from him. It's not necessarily a fight like a physical fight. In this instance, it appears as if he's trying to love on God. Which brings to mind what the sages have said, that our highest form of service to God should not be out of fear. We should not be serving God because we're scared of going to hell. Or we're scared of losing some kind of blessing. Now, there's validity in that. That's not invalid. It, there is validity in that. And a lot of us, when we first get introduced to Hashem, a lot of us, we go there first. Hey, I just don't want to go to hell. That's not a bad, that's not a bad thing to believe or to think. Okay? However... The highest form is when we do this because we love God. And that's why when people say, well, do you have to keep Torah to be saved? Friend, you're approaching this with the wrong heart. You're approaching it with the wrong heart. I don't, I, I look for ways to bless my wife. And she looks for ways to bless me. Now, the way to bless my wife is to take her to Jared's or buy her some flowers or take her on vacation or buy her some clothes and stuff like that. 
The way she busts me, she makes gumbo, stew, roast beef. She looks for ways to bless me, and I, I try to find ways to help her bless me. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is we love our spouses, and therefore we do what we do because we love them, not because we're scared of something or some consequence. So when we talk about God, like, why, do you follow, why do you feel compelled to follow his Torah? Because I love him. I, I follow his Torah because that's his will, and I want to do what his will for my life. I'm not, looking for, uh, I'm not looking for a cheap way out. I'm not looking for a loophole. I'm not looking for how can I get in the door by just doing this. I'm not looking for that. I want to do everything I can as, as best as I can. And when I get there, I'll realize all the stuff I could have done, but I didn't. But I'm going to do the best that I can do right now. Finally, it says, and this is my final, this is my third closing. And Breshis Rabbi, you know, we talk about being covered with the dust of our rabbi. That was a series we did last year. That comes from the rabbis. They say, find a rabbi and be covered in his dust. What that means is that follow him, be close to him. You know? And I want to encourage everybody. Uh, we live in this age where the internet is so accessible to us. Uh, please don't get on the internet and follow six or seven or ten different rabbis. It, it'll be, it'll, nothing, it'll, be, it'll do you a total disservice. Find a rabbi and make him your rabbi. All right? Uh, clearly, I'm a little biased, but, but, but even so, don't go listening to six or seven different rabbis. You've got to be very careful about that. But it says here, in Breshi Rabbah, we read, Who became all covered with dirt? This is what the Midrash says about this encounter. The man who was fighting with Jacob. This is in accordance with Menachem's word that the word comes from avach, dust, which is the soundest interpretation. In other words, when they were wrestling, they got all covered up with dust. And I believe it was because Jacob was wrestling with this angel and he wanted to be covered in the dust of this angel who he perceived was a particular angel, I believe, he saw the angel, Memtet, who is the divine image of God, who is the Messiah, Yeshua. Amen, amen, amen. Father, help us to be close to you. Help us to really hold on tight to you. Oh, Hashem, Hashem, it's so important. We've got to trust in you for everything. Father, we just want to be in your presence. We want to understand and know and believe with our whole heart. That even the very most mundane things, the things that take seemingly hardly any brain function for us to do, we, we can only do it because you allow us to. Father, help us to connect. Let it help us to have the heart of Jehoshaphat. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We look to you for everything, Father. Let this be our situation in the merit of the Messiah, Yeshua. Amen, amen, amen. Well, today we have uh, Oneg, of course, and we want everybody to come to Oneg. It is a, bu a buffet, and so everybody is in, uh, coming to Oneg, and no excuses. Uh, we want you to be a part of it and join us. It's, uh, what's that? You're invited. We invite you uh, to come. And <laughs> Oh, provided, sorry. Uh, my wife was saying provided. We, we are providing uh, everything for you. Everything has been provided. 
So we want you to come and be blessed, and let's celebrate uh, our new Zaken, Zaken Yigal, Baruch Hashem. And uh, what God has done by, by this uh, monumental and important uh, opportunity we have here uh, to have a, a complete bait team. And let's welcome our Hazan, who's been doing a great job, Baruch Hashem. Let's stand as we prepare to have the Elenu as he leads us, Baruch Hashem. Alleen nog 